You're listening to Pair of Programmers. I'm Christopher Wolf, And I'm John Fisher. In the show, we explore different topics that software developers encounter in their careers. The format of the show is that one of us researches a topic, and the other reacts with insights from their experience. Tweet us at Podcast to send us topics you'd like to hear discussed. Today's episode is about technical debt. John's done the research this week, and I'll react with my experience. It's some pretty shoddy research, but I'll start by saying that uh, recently at work, I was uh, responsible for going through our backlog and marking things as either technical debt or not. And I had to ask myself the question, what is technical debt? And by the time I really figured that out, I had gone through most of the backlog. So I probably need to go through that again and fix it. Mm. But... (laughs) What I found out was was pretty unexpected. So I'll start off with the kind of like textbook definition, in this case, actually um, from Wikipedia. And depending on your experience with technical debt, this might catch you by surprise too. Um, but it says technical debt is a concept in software development that reflects the implied cost of additional rework caused by choosing an easy uh, or limited solution now instead of using a better approach that would take longer it then goes on to talk about how this is related to monetary debt and it says unaddressed technical debt increases software entropy so then if you go in to read about what software entropy is entropy is is a concept in physics that says basically things tend to increase in disorder and so software is a lot of the same way So every time you make a change, every time you introduce some additional requirement, the application gets more complex. And so that's basically what entropy means in the software, in the software case. So when a program is modified, its complexity will increase unless you take action to work against that. And so I thought that was pretty interesting. Often we don't, you know, actually work against it. Mm -hmm. So um, I have a few things that I want to, you know, eventually go through later on and look what that means in the day-to-day world. But, but Chris, what do you, what do you think about that? Sure. Yeah. I agree with all of that. It sounds like you take these shortcuts and then you end up getting burned by them later. And I think that's something that lots of software developers experience in their careers. And I've been at a couple different companies now, and it's interesting to see like the different ways that teams manage that technical debt. You know, I think it really comes down to, well, sometimes it depends on what your product is. You know, if it if the product is the software itself, then you might take more steps to manage that technical debt. But if the product, if people aren't buying software, but maybe they're getting a result of running a certain software, yep. well, then, you know, people might not care too much about the technical debt right. at that point. Yeah, I remember this is maybe going off on a little bit of a tangent, but I remember my first job, I worked for um, something to do with like home loan mortgages. And uh, I got a chance to talk to some of the higher ups in the company. And I was like, oh, well, do we, do we sell our software? I had such like an IT focus or a computer science focus growing up in, in school that I didn't realize that that wasn't like the end product for a lot of places. Um, and so like when you're in kind of like the, the business driven world, the, the software itself is not really the end product. It's, mm-hmm. it's really kind of like the, the middleman that's just like managing between the, the client and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. 
So where I work today, one of the ways that we manage technical debt, or we've started to introduce this new way of managing our technical debt is to create buckets of technical debt. And so we work with agile project management, uh, or we work with agile development. And so we have sprints. And so we have this bucket of technical debt. And so each sprint will kind of look into that bucket and pick a handful of tickets to try to address the technical debt yep. each sprint. So that's interesting. Also going through when, when I was tasked with, you know, identifying what was technical debt and not, there are a few things that were bugs. And I was like, ah, those aren't technical debt. Like those have a, a user impact. There's no mm-hmm. way they should be. Um, but reading through the definition, there's a caveat. And the caveat kind of makes sense. The caveat is when that bug starts causing some future cost to like some sort of new work, some new feature. Mm-hmm. If your existing bug, which has an end user impact, if that bug costs something to say the story would originally be like, you know, like three points or whatever, mm-hmm. or like maybe five hours, uh, because of that bug, the the story itself or the task or whatever is two days, then it's like, oh, mm-hmm. shit. Now I have some additional cost, right? That's where like the debt term comes in because of that bug. So in addition to the, the impact of the user, now it's having an impact to your to your oh, estimate. Yeah, yeah, your performance. Yeah, that's a great caveat to mention. And recently, you know, I had a ticket that I was dealing with at work that I debated whether or not it was technical debt. And I, it had a user-facing component, so I marked it mm-hmm. as a bug. I didn't consider yep. it technical debt. Right. But that's a good caveat to understand yep. that maybe the ticket can have some component of technical debt that could be addressed within yep. the scope of that ticket to right. fix the issue. Yep. Yeah. So... When I had initially thought of technical debt, I thought of it as like maybe somebody's new to programming there, like they did something, you know, that's not a best practice Mm -hmm. or they're new to the application. They didn't know how to do it properly. Maybe Mm -hmm. they're new to the language. They didn't understand like the proper way to, you know, there was already a library for it. And so you don't have to write your own function, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But another thing I didn't realize was that technical debt can sometimes be intentional. If you have a deadline to meet, and oh, you just that is the story of my life. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. yeah. And you just need to meet that deadline, and mm-hmm. you're like, ah, oh, well, fuck. Like this text looks like it's going to be replaced next year, and so I could make it like a configurable parameter mm-hmm. and pull it from a database, and you know, do it properly. Or I could just hard code it right now, mm-hmm. and next year that's going to bite us in the ass. But right now, I don't have time to set up the the new table. A new mm-hmm. service endpoint and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, whatever. I'm just going to hard code it. That'll mm-hmm. get us through. Yep. That all sounds very familiar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so here's a question. Since we're talking about technical debt and we just talked through a scenario where, you know, you might have this ticket that sounds like a bug. Say you were to find technical debt in your analysis of that ticket. Should you address it then? Or should you make a new ticket that captures that this is the isolated technical debt of this? I'll fix this ticket now. And I'll come back to that technical ticket in the backlog. Oh, yeah, good question. Um, knowing me, I would probably just address it then, but that's probably not good because if you're changing code outside of the scope, which sounds like you would then, mm-hmm. then you know you might not realize that you should be testing that particular part of it. Mm-hmm. And then if you introduce a bug while you're trying to fix it, everyone's like, well, why did you start changing that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. And then you get in trouble. So Right. So no, you wouldn't do that. 
I, I <laughs> would or should. Yeah, that's, yeah. I can't remember if I said should or would. Yeah. We'll have to go back to the tape. <laughs> but yeah, I agree with what you said there. I think, you know, I've seen developers think it would take, oh, it's just going to take me a little bit of time yeah, to right. fix it. And yeah. then it turns into a big, yep. you know, a couple days worth of effort to come to a conclusion on a ticket that should have taken a couple hours. Yep. Yeah. Yep. One other thing I thought I would mention, you were describing like sometimes technical debt is intentional. And you talked about how like juniors could be like a junior, maybe not familiar with the code base or not familiar with the language. There's a few times that I've seen where when you're first creating an application, you mm-hmm. instill certain architectural components into mm-hmm. it. And I think one other way that technical debt can get introduced is when that architecture gets pushed to its limits, you know, architecture makes certain assumptions. And at some point those assumptions are going to be challenged by new work that comes in. And I think that might also be an extra area where technical debt gets introduced because if you are stuck near the fringe of the architecture where like maybe you can't introduce a new component, well then you might start taking these types of shortcuts that right. yep. introduce debt. Yep. Yeah, so I didn't expect you to introduce architecture, but I'm glad that you did. Thanks. I while I was doing some research on this this weekend, I found a oh what are they what are they called in um you inherit your genes from your parents, a pundit square. Mm-hmm. So I found basically a pundit square of uh, the, you can think of like the top of the square, the x-axis is visible uh, and invisible. And then the, the um, side of the square, the y-axis going down is positive value or negative value. So a bug is something that has a negative value that's visible, right? This is what we talked about, like bugs are impactful to the user mm-hmm. there's something that's seen something that has a positive value that's visible to the user is a feature right like you you wrote a story and it has a, some positive impact to the to the user something that is invisible to the user but has a positive value is architecture and then this this diagram defines technical debt as something that has a negative value that's invisible to the user does that feed off of what you were saying at all yeah, I think so. I think maybe what I was saying would then be just where y equals zero, where that architecture just isn't helping you. Mm. Maybe you've gotten a feature request that the architecture can't support. Yeah. And so then you start to introduce technical debt to compensate. Right. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I should say that the source is from variance-explained.org. Another thing that I that I realized was, well, we, we did talk about this a little bit, but just that technical debt can be useful in some sense. Um, so you you implement the short-term solution because you're up against a deadline. And you know that that sucks. And in an ideal world, you would not have a deadline or, or you would have some sort of like very reasonable deadline that you could always meet. But in the real world, you have a deadline, it's coming up fast um, and there's no way to, maybe you're, you're, you're the UI developer and the, and the service developer is on vacation. Um, and so you can't implement the proper solution, so you hard code it. So in that sense, it can be useful. But mm-hmm. if that's the case, then you need to make sure you track it and then have somebody follow up on the long-term solution. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Yeah, I think maybe that's another way technical debt gets introduced is the person that might be the best person. Maybe not the best person, but you need support from another person right. to finish the right solution. Yep. Well, that person's out of town, and yep. I got bills to pay, so right. I'm going to do it this way for now. Hey, you don't want to get fired. <laughs> exactly. Cool. 
so I found lots of good comics and stuff on, on technical debt and uh, one of them is the though the comic itself is, is terrible there were lots of better ones but I thought this was pretty good it talked about like warning signs of technical debt or like what it usually turns out to be so the three different scenarios that this comic shows has a three-headed dragon right as if two weren't enough um but the first one is that technical debt could be untested code another is complex or hard to understand code and then the third is kind of related to the second one but the third is unextensible code mm -hmm. that's a great diagram yeah i think we might have an episode about software testing, because I think that is a great topic that fits in line with this show that we'll talk about kind of the textbook, what we should do and kind of what happens in reality. Mm -hmm. Complex code is interesting too, because I feel like I see complex code and developers think, oh, it has to be that complex, mm. you know? Yeah. And so they just leave it and they keep building right. on this complex code. But sometimes you just gotta like take a step back and be like, does it actually have to be this complex? Yeah, right. Is, or is it complex because some other part of the system we need to improve on that part of the system and that would actually make this less complex. Right. And, and a lot of times um, this sort of technical debt will snowball. Like if you're like, oh, I don't know how that works. I should just like add some additional logic to it. And then you, you start adding that logic and because the the existing logic is really complex. You have to add like lots of little caveats and, and cases mm -hmm. and, and all this kind of stuff. When really it's like what would have been much simpler is some some more elegant solution that basically requires starting from zero. It takes more time, but mm -hmm. that, that way you don't want to snowball. Mm -hmm. Definitely, yeah, it definitely builds on itself. Um, I guess that's where the interest part of technical debt comes yeah. in. Right, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. The other thing, there's this DevOps virtual cycle of technical debt repayment diagram. And this is kind of related to what we were talking about, about how technical debt snowballs. This is basically a diagram that walks you through a five-step process of how to lower technical debt. And so the first step is you automate some things that, I don't know if it's the first since it's cyclical, but the top step is automate some stuff. The next is reduce incidents going back down to like the five o'clock hour on the circle. Now we're at free up people's time, then uh, pay back some technical debt. Um, and now going back up towards like nine o'clock hour is improve quality. And if you improve quality, then you have some, some time to automate some more stuff. And it just continuously loops. And the one thing that I thought I could add to this diagram was that if you go backwards on this diagram, the, the same thing can happen, but in reverse. So you don't take time to automate anything. Your code quality decreases because your quality is bad. You have less time to pay back technical debt. The increased technical debt makes things more confusing. And so you have less time to reduce the number of incidents or bugs that happen. And because of that, now you're all worked up trying to fix stuff and you don't have time to automate anything. And now we're back up to the, to the top of the circle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I guess I did want to ask, how do you solve technical debt, you know, either at your current job or past jobs? What has that sort of looked like for you? I don't, I just let it go and say, fuck that guy. <laughs> no, um, I, I think if it's something small, that's manageable that I can see the end of the tunnel on, I tend to just do it and 
<laughs> not tell anyone just for the sake of better code quality and, mm -hmm. and the guy that's going to come after me. If it's a lot of technical debt or if it's something that I see kind of snowballing into a bigger change, um, then I would go to my manager about it, explain to him the like real world impact of not fixing it. Uh, and then try to get him on board with like actually creating a, you know, create a story or a task or something and then mm -hmm. get him on board to like add that to a future sprint. Nice. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, I would say it's pretty similar for me. I think, uh, you know, if it's super small and I just see it as like, uh, oh, someone made a mistake, I'll yeah. just clean that up. And if I can figure out who it was, <laughs> make it a teachable moment for them is uh. how I'll put it. You're such um, an educator. <laughs> but yeah, otherwise we follow uh, sprints at my current job. And so what we do is we have buckets. We have a bucket of tickets that are just exclusively for technical debt. And then every time we start a sprint, we'll look at that bucket and decide what bandwidth do we have to look at some technical debt this sprint. And depending on that bandwidth, bring in some tickets that way. And then as far as that kind of bigger, you know, technical debt that's kind of too hard to even fit into one sprint, I'm always keeping in mind those areas of technical debt and thinking about solutions that I might introduce months from now or later, you know, in the year, uh, maybe introduce a new library that's like, I see a lot of work being done in the codes, but I know that this library would like mm, yeah. solve a lot of that. So let's make a plan to introduce that library to mm. simplify things. Or I see a lot of code that's just really data driven. Mm. Like it's basically just hard coded data. So like let's set up a database mm. or take some new tables in a database to yeah. get that stuff in. Right. Um, but that's kind of harder to work into our sprints since they're just so big. Cool. So that's it for today's episode. Thanks John for sharing what you've found on technical debt. That was a great discussion. And listeners, please stay tuned for our next episode where we'll talk about Agile project management and, again, sort of the textbook definition of that and how John and I have experienced it in the real world. Thanks. Cool. See you. See ya.